Coming up, Francis Fisher joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Hi, everyone. I'm Ileana Douglas. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. We talk about movies here. Yep. Hello, Tamara Burke, my lovely co-host. How are you this fine day? Uh, It's not a great day. You know, sometimes the personal events, even though I don't watch the news anymore, seep out. Um, And, uh, you know, all the talk with the budget cutting and we're going to be now, you know, which which is the day has finally arrived. Hopefully the private sector uh, is is used to this. But, you know, there's going to be major. They probably put the NEA finally. Curse those damn artists. Artists. They are the bane of everybody's existence. They are. We, uh, oh, wait, that's us they're talking about. Yeah, so there'll be <laughs> lots of uh, cutting of the arts. Uh, you know, to me, again, a society without art in it mm. is uh, is ugly and sad. Art brings us together. Yes. Um, I write in my book, when I was a kid, I was part of a, uh, a NEA-granted um, uh theater group called the mm-hmm. Hartford Stage Company Youth Theater. We were sponsored by uh, United Technologies, which was, uh, a, you know, a Hartford-based uh, technological company. Uh, my father was involved in uh, Connecticut Commission of the Arts. Arts funding wow. was my whole life, right. and, and I am certainly... Uh, a benefactor of that, mm-hmm. and the when I used to do the live living room show with Matt Sorum, you know, it was all about arts funding called Adopt the Arts, and mm-hmm. uh, Jane Lynch is involved in that. Some other great people, just about how important it is to have an outlet of of art, just to express yourself, and and you know, not everything is getting it out on the basketball team exactly. or the football. You know, uh, I mean, I know just sometimes just sitting and drawing makes me feel better. And For it's, sure. a, it's a way of expressing ourselves. And it's a it's a sad day. Um, uh, you it, know, it hurts. I, it's painful. It is. It is. I grew up in public school, school but um, I had I was in one of the um, programs that gave like that had federal funding that had, you know, specific uh, money allocated towards kind of personal enhancement, you know, mm-hmm. of life. So I did. I learned how to weave, and I learned how to, you know, collect eggs from chickens, and I mean, all sorts of things that I did. I made a movie, a stop action claymation mm-hmm. movie, um, you know, all sorts of things, and that was, you know, public school, publicly funded. Right. Um, I have a sister who's an art teacher. I have a mother who probably would have been an art teacher if she'd gone into teaching. Um, the arts have been incredibly instrumental in my life, and I think they're. Mm-hmm. I think, like you say, I mean, it. It creates people with larger life experiences. It helps you cope with things. It helps yes. you understand things. I think, uh, uh, to me, another thing that it does is it gives you courage. You mm. know, somebody like Trump, who's so against, you know, the musical Hamilton, it's because it is, you know, it gives people courage that, that there's a, a bigger life out there. And also it joins us together. Absolutely. You know, um, culture without art is very, very dark indeed. Uh, and it's just, a, it's a, it's a sad, it's a very sad day. It's, mm. it's it, you know, more and more, I think that this is going to affect uh 
people in a very negative way, a society that does not celebrate art and artists. And I also think it's kind of a, it's a, it's a short-term, cutting the arts is a short-term answer to uh, you know, a problem that's going to be, be created without the arts that will last a very long time. I mean, there are long-term repercussions to cutting the arts. Well, I, you know, I interviewed for Trailblazing Women, I interviewed Jane Alexander, who was part of a major debate of the NEA when the last time when Newt Gingrich right. tried to put the NEA out of business. Right. And she said a lot of um, what happened then was that the private sector got involved, but the federal government funds barely anything of right. the NEA. So right. it, again, it's not really the money, it's a statement. It's a, it's a statement that um, this regime wants to make, mm-hmm. that we don't want individuality, we right. don't want art, we don't want... we want Creativity, expression. Yeah, we want, we want nameless... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline faceless minions uh, to be worker bees. That's what it says to me. Wow, yeah. And, uh, you know, because art is about expressing yourself and, yes. again, coming together and sharing things that are beautiful. and um, Or provocative or, mm-hmm. yeah. There are, there are lots of... I, I, to me, again, it, it, it's it's trying to create fear in, in, in people. And, uh, again, it's the type of thing that it, it hopefully the result is that it creates more activists. You know, we're going to be mm-hmm. talking to, to great for, uh, actress Frances Fisher, who's really become very, very outspoken and, and somewhat of an activist. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a great subject to, to speak out on. But... Um, you know how many we're gonna have more, more, more bombs, more you know, more of a war society, uh, more of a Roman society versus a Greek mm. artistic yeah. uh, society, and uh, it dark, dark days for yeah, us. Indeed, let's bring in Francis. Yes, let's bring in the great Francis Fisher. She is, of course, you know her from her numerous roles in uh, films like the Academy Award-winning Titanic. And also uh, Unforgiven, House of Sand and Fog, Lincoln Lawyer on television. She's been on Grey's Anatomy, The Shield, Two and a Half Men, Private Practice, Sons of Anarchy, Torchwood, uh, CSI Crime Investigation. This, uh, she was last year in Resurrection, but she's also appeared on stage. She's also my neighbor. Yay. Yay. Come sit with us and talk. And she's also becoming a very outspoken activist. Ladies and gentlemen, there she is, the gorgeous Frances Fisher. Yay. Hi, Frances. Do you know that when when I I always say, whenever I see you at an audition, I just go, well, it's over. (laughs) I I think the same thing about you and neither of us get the job. (laughs) No, no, no. It doesn't happen that way. I, I always say... Hire Frances Fisher. It's <laughs> just she'll be more fun, and she'll get the you, you get so many great parts on Roll. And my mother at least still likes you. So some actresses that I like. If I'm going, and she goes, that hog, she's working again. You know? 
But my mom likes you, so that's your vote Good. of faith. Thank you, Mama. Anyway, well, so great to yeah, have you, you know, here. when you're talking about the NEA, uh, oh, there was God. a quote that I put up on my Facebook. I can't remember. All I remember is that Winston Churchill is saying, you know, should we go into this war? It's like, well, what are we fighting for? It was about the arts. Yeah. We're fighting for the arts. Yes. This is what, what we go to war for. It's not to kill people. Right. It's we have to fight. It's so upsetting. I mean, the NEA budget is so minuscule as it is. And yes, it's exactly that's what, I'm what you're saying. It's, it's a big fuck you yeah. to people. And I just always wonder when these guys go home and sit on their couch, what do they do? They turn on the television and they're watching us. Trump's favorite movie is Goodfellas. Of course it you is. You know, by that by yeah. that anti-artist Martin Scorsese. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a you know, it's to me again, it's a larger argument, but the arts, you know, was so much for me about coping when I was younger, having the movies and and finding people. When I moved to New York City and I found other actors and I got out of that very, you know, conservative, claustrophobic uh, East Coast environment, I felt free mm-hmm. and courageous. You know, mm-hmm. being an artist is very you know, you have is is a very courageous thing to do, and seeing a great play, seeing an actor in a great play is very As inspiring. Children, we have imaginations, and we have to uh, be taught how to use it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's been proven that if children in school have the arts and have physical education, which they're cutting back mm-hmm. on now too, yep. recess, uh, that they don't do as well in mm-hmm. the STEM. Things you know, yes. science and, and, and math and all that well, stuff. Well, so you need to express and shift. You know, work on the other side of the brain. Yes. Yeah, so I'm gonna. We're gonna get anyway. into your activism, um, but I just so we're not all down. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're gonna be huddled in a cave, like those. People, we're going back in time, drawing little pictures on a cave. We'll and be then, telling stories yes. around the fire. Yes, we will. And, uh, we drawing will. on the cave walls. They won't get us. Um, what was the first movie you saw, and who took you to see it? Oh, oh my mother. I grew up overseas, so I didn't yes. watch television mm-hmm. until we moved to Iowa when I was uh, 10 years old. So going to the movies overseas was a big deal. She used to let me wear one of her bracelets. I'd carry a little purse, and we would go to the movies as if it were going to church. That's, mm-hmm. that's what she instilled in me. And the first movie I saw was Spartacus. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And that really made an impression. And the second movie, I remember we were in Paris at the time, and uh, we went to the Arc de Triomphe, and then we went to see West Side Story. Oh, wow. And I think back, you know, uh, in the generation that we come from, we only saw movies mm-hmm. on a big screen, and we only saw a little television when we could. Uh, there weren't tapes and things like that. And I realized that the impressions that the movies I saw really affected me mm-hmm. because it was one time and it was big. I, I wonder about the kids today because I know my daughter saw Snow White 20 times, you know, and put the tape in. Right. I, like, how is that repetitive viewing on a small screen affecting the brains of mm-hmm. the kids today as opposed to what we... Right. Well, through. seeing it in a movie theater, to me, was a, was a sensory... That's why I always ask, who took you to see it? Because yeah. my sensory experience was not only the movie, but it was my grandmother, it was my grandfather, it was going to Radio City, it was in a drive-in, it yeah. was... 
like you said, you had to drive to get there. It was a really, really big deal. It's a shared experience. Yeah. You know, I just went to Richard Schickel's memorial the other day, and he has a beautiful quote in, at the end of one of his books. He wrote 37 of them. And he talks about what going to the movies is. It's, it's, it's where you go in there um, to escape the, the, the temporary pain of your life mm-hmm. and to share an experience with strangers and, you know, hopefully come out friends. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what happens in the theater, right? I mean, that's why I love going to the theater and participating in, on stage. But, you know, you go in as strangers and you share a common experience and you turn to your neighbor and you laugh and you, right. you know, and then you come out and you know each other. It's a community experience mm-hmm. and we need that today. Yes. You know, we need to know we have community. I agree. Now, you move. I was reading that you you moved about nine or ten times when you were a kid. That must have been very. Well, that's all I knew. That's all Mm -hmm. I knew. That's how I grew up. My father was a construction supervisor. He built oil refineries and Mm -hmm. steel mills all over the world, and he would take us with him. Uh, My mother was very adventurous, and I had an older sister and a younger brother. And uh, before I was born, he built the first oil refineries in Iran. And he would tell us stories about Iran, (laughs) how he's just in barracks alone and all they could do is play bridge because there was nowhere to go because they were in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Um, Yeah. So so we, you know, wherever his job, Foster Wheeler took him, he would gather the family around and like, okay, well, we have a chance to go to Turkey. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't recommend it, but if you want to go and all the kids were like, we want to go, we want to go. That's amazing. And Turkey was amazing because we lived on in in Israeli, which was on the uh, on the um, south side of the Black Sea. Mm -hmm. And the water was crystal clear. And they forgot to hire teachers for all the kids in the camp. So we did correspondence courses. Somebody's wife came in and taught us half a day in the church. There were about six kids in seventh and eighth grade. I was in seventh grade at the time. I learned nothing. But we went to school for half a day, and the rest of the day we would go out and rent horses from the local farmers, and we would ride on the beach and sit on the beach and swim in the in the ocean it was an amazing wow that sounds wonderful idyllic experience and so were you seeing movies then or like were well there... there was a mess hall mm-hmm. there was a mess hall up at the top of the hill where all the bachelors had their <laughs> barracks and that's when i first like knew I, I was only 12 for god's sake but you know those bachelors were pretty hot well, they had those and, uniforms on, right? <laughs> well, Did they, they have, didn't wear uniforms. Oh, they didn't have uniforms? <laughs> oh, I, I but, guess that was my own every, fantasy. I think every Friday, <laughs> every Friday they would have a movie. You know, everybody would go to the mess hall uh, and eat dinner, and then all the kids would line up in the front, and they would put the screen down, and we'd watch some movie or something. That's yeah. great. And so then how soon after that did you think the did you get the acting bug early on? Um. I wrote a play. I wrote a Christmas play uh, there in Israeli for everybody, and of course made myself the lead. <laughs> I was. I. It was about Christmas. It was about elves and stuff, and I was mm-hmm. Jinx the elf. But I re- remember looking back now. I had it all set up, but I forgot to light it, so it was really dark. <laughs> there was no light on us. It's like okay, I, I'm a director. Ex- expressionist. And writer, I, yeah. <laughs> Film noir. Christmas. When did I get into it? Um, uh, I guess 
I did a couple plays in high school, but mm-hmm. that really wasn't it. Um, after I graduated high school in Texas, right. uh, somebody um, dared me to audition for a community theater thing. Mm-hmm. And I got involved with that. It was kind of like a song and dance, uh, you know, one of those every three years this, the community gets together and sings and dances and mm-hmm. for the rest of the people who are too scared to get up on stage. And um, then Bobby Papania asked me to audition for Summer and Smoke to play the role of Nellie, the, the young, the ingenue. So I, oh, okay. So I went down to the theater. It was like a real theater. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time I got home, I had the job, and I was really excited. And that started me on my path because even though I was working as a secretary for Firestone mm-hmm. there, because I was 18 years old, had to have a job. Um, my day started when the whistle blew at four o'clock. I would change out of my dress and I would go down to the theater and spend my whole evening there till like 11 o'clock and to cut my teeth on Tennessee Williams. I mean, that was really the first play that I absorbed. Well, and I'm always fascinated too, by as much as, you know, Christopher Gass kind of makes fun of community theater. You know, I've, been some very touching community theater productions that you know maybe people aren't the best actors but they're really well-meaning and really delving into the work and it's all it's all we have these days you know yeah if if somebody can't afford to go to new york city you know yeah Yeah, that ability to see a play yeah and if i if i hadn't gone that route i probably would have grandkids by now living in orange texas Mm -hmm. divorced i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) so then how so you're doing the theater and then did you go to new york um after that i did um a man for all seasons another great play by robert bolt and it was like oh this you talk about the nea i mean you know, to, to be exposed to theater and art and dance and music, it's yeah. so important for a young person. You know, you don't have to go in and become an accountant or, yeah. you know, no, try to make spoiled. money, you know. I did that. And then I then I did MAME, and I played Agnes Gooch. Oh, <laughs> Agnes Gooch. And I was the costume director, too. So I designed all the costumes because it's community theater. You yeah. know, we do everything. And... um during one of those plays, I can't remember when, there was no place to go after the theater, so we mm-hmm. would go to somebody's house and have food and drink. Um, and there was a New York actor who had come to Orange, Texas. Now, Orange, Texas is a little bitty town on the border of Texas and Louisiana. Um, and he sat me down and he says, you know, Francis, you could be a professional. You've got talent. <laughs> and I was like, Really? Nobody ever told me that. My my mother had since died. She died when I was 15. My father was working all the time. He mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, paying attention to um, what was going to go next. Um, he did want me to go to college. But he said, you could be a professional. It's like, wow, how, how do I do that? How do yeah. I get out of this little bitty town? And he said, you can. I can give you a letter of recommendation to the Barter Theater in Virginia. And that's where you can learn everything about stagecraft. You won't get on stage because they hire professionals from New York. Right. But you will learn everything about how to put a production together. And so I I decided to go. I divorced my husband. And I got on a Greyhound bus on a rainy night with my little suitcase. And wow. took that trip wow, that's to, amazing. to uh That sounds like Virginia. a Benny Davis movie. Yeah. You got your suitcase and left. 
Yeah, I should probably write that and give it to my daughter to play because she's about that age, you know, that she could play that part. Very yeah, much so. I didn't even know you were, <clears throat> do you see, you got married very young. Yeah, it was basically now I look back and it was like to get out of the house. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't want to go to college. I had had such a screwed up education because of being the new kid mm. every year. Right. Like when we when we moved from, I learned to read and write French before English because that was where we, we were in France in the first mm. grade. There was no American school. So I was stuck in uh, a French school. It was like, what is what are they saying to me? And I learned wow. to read and write. And mm. then we moved directly to Rio de Janeiro and they'd screwed up my records and they put me in third grade instead of second. And the only reason they fixed it is because I didn't know how to spell Thanksgiving <laughs> and Pilgrim. So I knew it was November that we moved there. But it was that kind of thing. And, it, I, you know, school, I did not like sitting in a class and yeah. having to recite so the then, answers. So then you're in Virginia doing th- learning i mean so this is sort of like your college of learning all about yeah i learned acting, i you know theater. we built sets we struck sets i built costumes mm-hmm. i assisted the director i would cue actors you know uh, um, everything to do with theater and you know you, you learn how to put a production together and it gave me a great respect for crew mm-hmm. that i i think i carry to this day you know it's not just the people on the stage that are yeah. important it's the whole group and mm-hmm. i and i love that camaraderie you know the family as we call it right? i do too yeah. i love every you know just walking on a stage i, I get know. like a big thrill just mm-hmm. the, the process i've always loved the the you know the process of it yeah and so then what year did you go to new york mm-hmm. I was there for a season, and the way I got to New York, because after after the plays, um, there was no place to go there either, so everybody would just go back to the big dorm mm-hmm. that, that everybody lived in, and, and we would sit around and talk, and I would talk to the actors who had come down yeah. from New York and the directors who came down, and I said, well, eventually you're going to go to New York City, and it's like, yeah, I know, I don't know how. One of the actresses, Ann Buckles, I was uh, assigned to cueing her, and she asked me what I was going to do after mm-hmm. this season, and I said, well, I just want to get to New York. She said, well, um, I have a three-year-old daughter. You could come up and be a nanny, and you could live in the maid's room. I live on Park Avenue, and it's small, but it's <laughs> like, so I went, okay. Yeah. So I became a nanny for the first few months that I was in New York and lived in the maid's room that was really small. <laughs> but I took Yvonne to school, and then I found my way to acting classes. Mm-hmm. I, I found the um, HB Studios, and so I enrolled there. With a Did you study of, with uh, Uda Agen? No, but I would peek in every once in a while. She was always full up, and I yeah, was too shy to... You know, I was so young. I was probably 20 at that yeah. point. And, um, but I, I, I remember Austin Pendleton. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, he doesn't remember me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But I started making my way. Yeah. Into, into that, and then uh, I'm already, I'm fascinated. You also uh, I got sort of your real start doing soap operas. Mm-hmm. And when I was in acting school, all my friends would get these little like five lines and on a soap opera, and I could never. I would always, I would always bomb out. Like I I used to think, well, there's no chance for me. I can't even get on a soap opera. But all my friends, you know, Alice yeah. and Janney, they all got these little parts on. Uh, 
on soaps. You know? Yeah, 76. I uh, See, I guess I went up there in 73. And then I started doing theater because, you know, read backstage, go audition. I was doing yeah. lots and lots of theater, experimental theater, mm-hmm. St. Clement's and, you know, basement, church basements and yes. stuff like that. And then it's such a funny journey. It really is. Uh, my boyfriend and I at the time had been living in a rooming house on 46th Street, which is Restaurant Row, but yeah. we were at the other end of Restaurant Row with a bunch of dirty old men, not <laughs> really dirty, but smelly, <laughs> and we would share the bathroom with them, and he was a struggling photographer, I'm a struggling actress, and he had like sold something, and we were able to start renting the entire first floor, and mm-hmm. so we got to enclose our bathroom, and we were like living there. And um, I had been going out and putting my resume out. I didn't know anything. I didn't know I had to have an agent. I, yeah. Nobody taught me anything. That's the one thing that I was really, really naive. <laughs> I, I should have gone to an acting school or something or, or a how-to, the way they have them now. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I used to walk into advertising agencies and give them my resume and go, I'd like to do a commercial. And they'd look at me and they go, you can't do that here. <laughs> I would but, do something like but, that too. But let me tell you what happened. On Christmas Eve, I got a phone call. And it was from a somebody who was doing a commercial called mm-hmm. a buyout, which means only cash, no residuals. Right. Uh, the day after Christmas, we found your your resume. We like your face. Would you come and do this commercial? You'll get $300. That's it. Mm-hmm. The day after Christmas, I'm like, $300? Yes, <laughs> of course. So I show up for this little commercial, and I'm walking in and out of an elevator. But the elevator operator was a guy named Richie Allen, who was one of the hottest commercial guys in the business at that time. Mm-hmm. And he felt so sorry for me because he knew I was like, what's going on? Uh, he took me around and he started showing me how to crash commercial auditions. He introduced me to his agents because in in New York, as you know, you can have more than one agent. Right. It's fucked up out here in yeah. L.A. You know, you're supposed to be with one. Right. You could freelance and, you know, have a... Because our agents have a lot more than one yeah. actor. Yeah. Um, anyway, that got me to... Uh, agencies, mm-hmm. and I would go in and give them my resume, and they would sometimes send me out for a co- commercial audition. And one of them said, "You've got an audition for The Edge of Night." Wow! It's like it's a soap opera. It's like oh, I don't want to do soap operas. I want to be a theater actress. And then somebody said, "Well, you can make money. You can do that during the day and do the theater at night." It's like, oh, okay. So I went in, and you know, it's before tape and. The other actor was actually in the room, whom I was, uh, who played my father, Louis mm-hmm. Turenne. And the minute I walked in the room, full of you know, people, I went, "Daddy!" And he went, "Deborah!" <laughs> and we hugged. We did the scene. It was one of those magical moments that just, you know, because sometimes when you go into the door, it can feel really awful. Oh yes. Right? So um, by the time I got home. I, the call was on my answering machine. You got the job. Oh, I love it. Two-year contract. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And so then what, what did then what happened to the boyfriend? Did he? Uh we stuck we stuck around. You we stayed st- in this we stayed we were together for 6 years. Uh 2 years I said we made a deal. 2 years I'll do this. You get your 
camera stuff together and then you'll start making money I'll go back to the theater and mm-hmm. do do more of that and then as life would have it as a 24 year old and then a 25 year old making all that money because it was a lot of money $425 a day two days a week that's pretty good it was almost yeah, that was almost a guarantee of you know $1,000 a week right that was big <laughs> back then in the yeah. 70s yeah you bet um, uh, it, it didn't work out I had to extend my contract for another two years because he hadn't kept his end of the bargain oh. and uh, I was you know liking the money putting it away I was saving it I would mm-hmm. always save 30% of whatever I made put it into savings which is something that everybody out there should be doing <laughs> save your money <laughs> Did uh, were, were you getting recognized I mean no really no 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 oh god no. we always I mean I, I lived near uh, where they shot one of the soap operas on Columbus and we could always you know see the you know see them walking the street yeah They're so-and-so after after I I was done with it you know they you know people oh Deborah Saxon you know yes yeah so then you moved. Uh, I want to get to, of course, some of your great film roles. Now, did you do the Lucille Ball movie before you did the Henry Jaglum film? Can she bake oh, a cherry pie? Oh no, that was my very first film ever that I did with him. I know, I've improvised. Seen, yeah, very improvised. Oh, I of all the Henry Jaglum films, that that's actually my favorite one, uh-huh. and I like Karen Black uh, quite yeah. a bit. She was sweet. Yeah. Oh yeah, very sweet lady. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I think that was like 86. I did that, and I did Norman Mailer's movie, Tough Guys Don't Dance, the same year. So that was after the soap opera. That was Mm -hmm. in the 80s. And, uh, yeah, we were sitting around at Cafe Central. Remember Cafe Central? Yeah, that's sort of just ending as I get to New York uh, around, like, 82. Oh, okay. So it's just, but it's, it's the, I'm... It's the tail end. Tail end of it. Of that. Yeah. But still great. And then it veers into Columbus. Columbus, yeah. Everything. Well, Cafe Central, for those of you who don't know, uh, was a great uh, watering spot, if you will, for people in theater and film and television. I mean, you know, Bruce Willis was the bartender. The bar- yeah. <laughs> you know? And... Uh, one of our best casting directors. Did you know Chris Noth? Because he talks oh, a lot yeah. about. Yeah, he was at the. He was we were all there. So one one evening, you know, Henry, I was sitting, happened to be sitting at Henry's table, and he was going, "Oh, I'm starting this film, and I don't have a production manager." I went, "Oh, I'll do it." You you know how to production manage? I went, "Yeah, yeah." And all I had done was put together a few of my boyfriend's slides into a you know, like a movie, you know. Yeah. But I did, and he said, well, there's also this part. It was a like, tiny little part, but it was literally the very first time I had ever you know, done a film and completely improvised, mm-hmm. as, as we know. Um, yeah, and then I, then I got some... Oh, I, by that time, I was a member of the Actors Studio. So, I had to audition. You had to audition? And gone in. Oh, yeah, you all have to audition. Yeah. And uh, I was a member there, and then one day... They had gotten a call from Norman Mailer, and they wanted to find someone who could be believable as an ex-porn star who was now a realtor mm-hmm. in Santa Barbara. And they went, ah, oh, Francis, <laughs> of course. you got a meter. That's funny. <laughs> She's the so, gal. Yeah, so I, so I actually auditioned for Norman in downstairs oh at the actor's studio. Were you scared? And, 
Uh, no, no. I I would be scared. No. Norman Mailer. I mean, no, I was excited. Yeah. I was excited, you know. <laughs> and, and that's why I didn't get so many parts. I was always like, scared. I can't believe it. I would always want to talk about their movies. And then I'd be like, yeah, I'd have to audition. Yeah. You know, not some, him. Some, writer, sometimes you're scared. You know who I was intimidated by only because of my adoration was Robert De Niro. I auditioned for yeah. him in some hotel room for yeah. something. And I was... I just knew I wasn't going to do it because I was dealing with props too much yeah. instead of just looking at him. And- it's so interesting. I wrote a whole chapter working with him is because I had had this experience of people being so unnerved by him. I watch people just have meltdowns. Yeah. And, and so I knew that when, I knew I would have to do a, I write all about it because I said emotional preparation was not my strong suit, but I was going to have to do preparations and literally remove him from the equation of acting with him, or otherwise I would not be able to do the scene. Right. Which sometimes yeah. I feel that way because I, if I see people in movies, I, I've, it's tough. I all I do is see their films. You know, yeah. it's hard to imagine you're in the scene with them. Yeah. But that's funny. Yeah. And the, so you auditioned for him, and did he? It was he. He was notoriously uncommunicative. <laughs> and nice. Yeah. But, and I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the movie, but. It, um, Kathy Baker got it, I think. But, mm-hmm. um, um, but I, I, you know, you go to a I hotel just, room and I you're just, sitting in the lobby. Oh, I know. Was it's it one so of those? intimidating. Yeah, one of those big oh, hotel God. rooms and it's the worst. waiting and there's like ten people who look just like I always. <laughs> I know. I would always think that people were thinking I was a prostitute too. <laughs> oh, sure, because you're all dressed. Everyone up. Everyone else is. Yeah, well, like everyone else is here for an act, acting, but she's just a prostitute. You know, <laughs> That's because I have low self-esteem. But, yeah. And sometimes when you're down there, like, two hours, it's like a meltdown for me. You see somebody come down, and you go, oh, well, it's hopeless. Yeah. Like, she's going to get it. You see, like, super famous people, and so you go, oh, they're going to get it, you know. I know. it's The auditioning is still the oddest thing to me in the the world. Yeah. Very unreal way to do things. I, I like it because I can try on the shoes of the character and then also check them out because... You know, we would audition for theater back then. Right. And, you know, you'd meet the people in the room. And I would always come in and say, you know, this is, I've read the script. I've Mm -hmm. done some work on it. But this is like my first rehearsal. Yeah. And please give me notes. And that's what's so great about having the director in the room. Now, there are so many times that you audition for, you know, a camera. And it's like there's no interaction. and. I like when they say, put yourself on tape. Oh, yeah. (laughs) With your phone. (laughs) I were like, this is a major film. What am I doing? Put yourself on tape. Well, you can go to those places, right, where Mm -hmm. they have good lighting. And actually, it's actually better than doing it in the office where you've got terrible overhead light and some of you the best light in my house is in the where the washer and dryer is (laughs) i'm serious so it seems so surreal to me that i'm dressed like a lawyer and then i set up your laundry room on my washing machine fantastic (laughs) and i'm telling you he's guilty you know and i'm like this is ridiculous create flats behind you exactly office flat or just get better lighting in that house did you have i've Told this at nauseum, but my Alan Parker story, where he, where I thought I was doing really well, and he, and he stopped my audition and said, "Who sent you here?" Oh no! I was devastated because I was such a big fan of his. But did oh. you ever have any like bomb out auditions where you just like 
To me, it always would happen when I thought I was doing really well. That's what so I'm like, oh my god, I'm nailing it, nailing it. I'm on the set. We're gonna be hanging out at the bar, and they're like, thank you, Eliana, leave, leave. I was like, I thought I was doing good, but do you? That's such a. It's you. It's hard to know, isn't it? Because sometimes. I know one time I went in and did what I thought was a great job. They laughed, they cried, literally, and somebody hugged me at the end. Thank you so much for coming in. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get it. Yeah. I didn't get it. I came to my acting class because at that point I was studying with uh, Sandra Seacat. Oh, yes. And I told her and the group, I said, I don't understand why. I mean, I, I got a hug. Mm-hmm. Who do they? Why do they hug you? It's like unless they knew I wasn't going to get it, they tried to make me feel better. And she gave me a piece of advice that I carry with me. She said, you know, we're on a spiritual journey on this planet. And maybe you did so well in the audition that your soul didn't need to go through the actual exercise of making the film. And at that point, I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, I'll buy now, that. Now, I was like, I'll buy that. Please, just tell me. Anything to get me through this pain. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So then you did, uh, then you worked with Paul Schrader. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Patty Hearst. And Patty Hearst. Yeah, that was wild. Um, they they thought it was a good idea for us to go up to San Francisco, the, the SLA. I was part of the SLA. Yeah. And uh, so we all went up to San Francisco, and they rented uh, one of those uh, apartments, put stuff in the window, hung stuff in the window, and made it look like a safe house. And they kept us in there for two weeks. They would only let us out to, like, go to the gym, maybe. And then we had to cook our own food. I mean, they had a list of, like, who was going to... And we put Natasha in the closet one time just because we wanted to get into it. We all slept on the floor in sleeping bags. It was crazy. Yeah. Who was on Natasha Richardson, mm-hmm. of course, bless her heart. Yeah. Um, Ving Rames, mm-hmm. uh, Dana Delaney, who else? Bill Forsyth. I think they're all the ones who are still in the biz. But uh, it was a, you know, that was and intense. we would sit and watch. Yeah, it was intense, and we would watch, you know, Malcolm X movies and documentaries and all that about the Weather wow. Underground and get into our little. You know, See, I don't think the, I don't think was, actors in those days. You know, you'd be really into doing some, you know, because you were a very serious actor. Oh yeah, but, it was great. I I loved it. But I, I have know. a feeling that these days, you know, you have two days to rehearse and then you're shooting. Well, I miss you know, all that. The whole business has changed in in so many ways. And the one thing that's really sad about it is that when you got hired for a job, a film, you were there the whole time. Exactly. And your yeah, days run of the picture. Hold, run, run of the picture. picture. So you yep. could. Get to know your fellow castmates. Mm-hmm. You could work together on stuff. Now they have it so scheduled that you just job in. You do yeah. your costume fitting. You do your little piece of the scene. Yeah. And then you're out. And it's like you don't know anybody else. It's so... No. It, it, I always ask to go to the set like a day. And people go, Why? we can't pay you. I'm like, no, I don't want to be paid. I just want to hang out. And yeah. Be you, part of the film. Yeah, and do you guys think the, that that affects the, fi- the, the final product? Totally, yeah. totally. Because we're, you know, totally. we're all bringing our energy together, and we're part of the fabric of it all. Yeah. And I want to know who the DP is and meet the costume people yeah. before I have to be in a fitting and just mm-hmm. get to, just to the slide tone. in, get the tone, 
get the feel of it. Yeah. See how they're working, mm-hmm. you know? Also, it's a sense of pride. I know that the first movie that where I was the run of the picture was Goodfellas. And, mm. I mean, I think I was only in three scenes or four, four scenes or something. But, again, it was a run of the picture. And so you'd go in the morning there was this huge hall and we'd all get made up and then you know sometimes you wouldn't even be in this shot you'd just be like at a table if it was a wedding or something right but we added to the atmosphere and we were thrilled to be there and so that by the time your scene was up you were completely in the mood yes you know yes you knew exactly what was required of you yeah and then you get to watch all the other great actors working i mean come on yeah it's fantastic it was yeah. amazing. So then after that, so then you get cast in, uh, and then where's Lucy fit in? Where's your Lucy film? Because that's when I first saw you. Oh, um, well, that was an interesting uh, thing. The reason, the, how Lucy came about was that same acting class with Sandra Seacat. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, participants was Desmond Child, who's a fantastic music producer. Mm-hmm. He's worked with all the greats. And he was there learning about acting because... That's he wants to know more, and <clears throat> I had brought in some headshots mm-hmm. when when they were like the thirty six, you know, yeah. strips and all that, um, and I brought them in for for everybody at the class to you know which one would be the best. And uh, toward the end of the thirty six, I had thrown my hair up and played around a little bit, mm. and he goes, you know, this shot right here, you look a lot like a young Lucille Ball. It's like mm. really, um. So one day I was walking past Sam French or something like that. I went in and I looked at a book about Lucy and I started learning about her life and how she came up and who she was. And I did notice a similarity. Mm -hmm. And so I got obsessed with reading about her and, you know, the first woman to like take the bull. I don't want to say take the bull by the horns because that's a stupid thing to do. To 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 command her own. Yes, yeah, your first uh, studio it, female stu- studio yeah, head. Yeah, Desilu. forty years old. She did it back then. That yeah. was that would be like first interracial 65. marriage on television. Yes, yes, and she fought for Desi. Yeah, so so um, I thought someday I'm going to play that part. I just knew it in my bones. Like, I knew I was going to get Edge of Night. And I'm thinking now, it's like, I just said I wanted it, and it happened. How come it hasn't happened Mm. since? My God, do these (laughs) moments. I think that when you're young, you have such clarity about your goals, Mm. you know? That's what I feel like. And that once you're successful, it becomes, you know, a little more scattered. That's just my own feeling. But when you're younger, you're like, I am gonna win an oscar this is gonna happen this is gonna be my oscar speech and you have to learn you you know you have to find your way back i think to those goals to those goals and having uh being one point yeah because the business you know you can become cynical or you know um embittered in some ways and you know and i and it's hard i i find you always have to rediscover you know that that sort of joy but i was thinking as you were Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thinking the the Lucy... I just finished this bit because in my mind I was like, i got to finish that. Um, uh, So I I had moved out to Los Angeles. I moved out here in in 88 because I had the opportunity to work with uh, uh, Robert Mitchum on a TV thing in in New York. And we were sitting together and he goes, well, kid, it's just time to spread your wings. Go out to Los Angeles. That's where they make movies. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, Mr. Mitchum, I'll follow your advice. Oh my so God. <laughs> so uh, I've worked with some tough guys. I loved him, loved him so much. Um, so I happened to be reading Variety or The Hollywood Reporter, and there was like a little thing that CBS was going to do, the Lu- Lucy and Desi before the laughter. And I went, oh my gosh, this was 10 years later mm-hmm. after I'd done those pictures. I thought, I am going to go back to that photographer, get myself all done up like Lucy, and I'm going to send that headshot in like that. And that's what I did. And I was the first one that they auditioned because they were so curious at yeah. who would do this because I looked enough like her. Yeah. Then, you know, and I ended up getting it. Yeah. I wish that the uh, production had... Never mind. I thought it was it great. It well, is. I loved it. Well, they spent too much time doing a false, you know, uh, talent search as opposed to oh, yes. working on true pre-production. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you but. can still play, you can play her as, as older. <clears throat> well, you know what Desmond wants to do. Should I say this? Okay. Uh, Desmond called me up a couple of years ago. He goes, Francis, we've got to do Lucy and Viv. Everybody's done Lucy and Desi. Oh. Yeah. I want to explore the relationship between Lucille Ball and yeah. Vivian Vance. So we've been doing research. I've mm-hmm. been singing because he wants to make it a musical. And it's going to be those two. Well, only you can play it. So so I wouldn't worry about anyone taking your part. Um, <laughs> okay. So I want to get to uh, your, your work, of course, with uh, Clint Eastwood. So this is 1989. You get cast in Pink Cadillac. Yeah, well, it came out in 89, of oh. course, so it was 88. Yeah, I, I went in uh, to audition mm-hmm. on tape um, for this little bitty part mm-hmm. um, in Pink Cadillac, and um, then I got got the part and uh, went up to Reno, mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, to uh, do... Was I on the run of the show? I think they had run of the show back then, too. But I met him. He always has pre-parties rather than rap parties because most oh, people are gone by that's then. Nice. So he had an opening party and it was like in this little almost like a Motel 6 thing. We were all staying there and I just walked over to him and I thanked him for casting me. And mm-hmm. He looked at me like silly me. I didn't realize he looks at everybody that way, but I completely <laughs> fell in love. <laughs> Were you now? Had you been a fan of uh, Eastwood movies? No, I didn't. You know, his the movies only... really changed, huh? His move from his you know early, early Dirty things. Harry movies. Yeah, I think I went to see one Dirty Harry movie with my husband in Texas, and mm-hmm. I, you know, like whatever. But interestingly enough, when we came back from Turkey and. Um, no, it was before we were in Turkey, 10 years old. My mom, we finally had a TV because mm-hmm. we were living in Iowa, and she would let us watch three shows, not a lot. So I got to watch The Twilight Zone, I Love Lucy, and Rawhide <laughs> because she liked the older guy. Think about it. That's so about the uh, what I was saying earlier about the impressions yes. that things have on your mind if you're not so overwhelmed with a lot. Yes, those three things kind of happened. For Absolutely, me. it's completely you know? a, opening a door to your destiny. Yeah. Yeah. So then, how? So you're doing, right. and then how long did after 
you did the film because, of course, I'm fa- I was you know with a director and working with a director that you're also having a relationship with. What, what, had you finished Pink Cadillac? And then you're going into Unforgiven? Like, when does the well, we did, relationship no, part had, begin? Well, the, like, right away, but <laughs> it was, like, instant. And then we didn't do Unforgiven until, I'm, like, thinking back, like, when was I pregnant? That's when the Franny, 93, 92, 91. Mm-hmm. And I did Lucy in 90, and it came out in 91. And then we did, then we shot Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great working with him. Oh. I mean, it's a, a dream come true to work with your lover. I auditioned for Unforgiven. I didn't get the part. I can't think of the girl's Which, name with the big uh, eyes, uh, blonde. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't work much anymore. Mm. And then I did a movie with her afterwards. Okay. But, um, yeah. He asked me which part I wanted. And I just, he goes, I think Strawberry Alice because you're feisty. Mm-hmm. And I realized I probably made a mistake. I did go with that character because she was a fighter mm. and a, a, a feminist, if you will, mm-hmm. to round up the money to go after those guys who yeah. cut their friend. Um, but I could have had a scene on camera forever with him, but I didn't want to have scars on my face. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. That was but such anyway, a great script, though. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't change a word. Yeah, oh my god! I remember those... every actress in Hollywood read went to Warner Brothers to audition for that film. You know, yeah, it was yeah. pretty. That was I was I was very nervous about that about that audition. I didn't get it, but as many of them, I didn't. So then you're in, and so did you relate? So working with someone, my my relationship didn't change at all. I loved it because that was like my whole fantasy. We'll make movies together and yeah. be together and. <laughs> I'll be making movies, but did you, did, were you, did you have to keep it under wraps? Were you afraid like other actors would be jealous? Like, that's what I was always nervous of. No, no, um, no, he's such, he's the best set in the world to work mm-hmm. on. I mean, there's no that's everybody yelling. says. It's like, you just look at it, it's like, this mm-hmm. is rolling, you know, there's never anybody yelling because everybody's so respectful because mm-hmm. he commands that just because they don't. They just have that respect for him. Um, no, it, because he had such a great group of people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he uses everybody the was same, there for the work. Doesn't he use the, he uses the same DP, Jack Green? Yeah, well, Jack, but then Jack graduated to making his own movies, so he moved up his, his gaffer to, mm-hmm. to that position now, Tom. Um, but, yeah, he's very loyal to his crew and to a lot of cast, you know. Um, I worked with him again in another film, called uh, True Crime um, and our, our daughter played his daughter in the movie she was like three at the time or something um, and you know he may do another movie you never know the, uh, you never know did the interesting <laughs> thing was though, though there was this one scene though I have to tell you because it's sure. like you were talking about the rape scene that you Kid that Fear you, yeah, yeah. That, that he was like so nervous that yes. you were going to. Yes, as we were saying before, camera, um, uh, Mr. Scorsese, Marty, was more nervous than me. I was like, no, I'm here. I'm an actress. This is what I've been waiting my whole life to do. And he felt terrible, like filming me. So yeah. go ahead. Well, I, my, uh, the opening scene uh, in Unforgiven for my character, Strawberry Alice, was that she's like, you know, fucking a guy in bed. Yeah. And uh, so we set it up. And Jack Green was such a great light. I mean, he. Candlelight, you know, so Incredible. quick too. Such yeah. a quick lighter. There was never any waiting around. 
And so we did it once. I mean, and then it's like, then I hear Clint go, okay, that's enough of that. Moving on. And it's like, just one take? That's it? It's like, yeah, I got it. Okay, move on. You know. That's amazing. Well, that's yeah. what everybody says is he, he has to do, you know, yeah. a lot of takes. Sometimes shoots the rehearsal when you and you don't know it. Yeah. And yeah. And uh my I'm slightly obsessed with Gene Hackman. I've never met oh. him. That's my fantasy interview. Yeah. And what he, was it like working with him? Oh, so so easy. So great. So great. And you know, when when we'd be uh, when they would be relighting or something, he would sit in the corner and sketch everybody and I've got uh. one of his sketches that I oh, framed. Wow. He did a sketch of me, and he was great. I remember the night he arrived, he and his, his lady arrived, <clears throat> and um, we all had dinner together, and he was supposed to work the next day. And he looks at Clint, he goes, um, I hear there might be rain. There's no way you're going to be doing that big scene in the if we have to move inside, right? No. Absolutely not. We'll find something else to, mm. to ease him in. Right, he had right. just arrived. Yeah. Sure enough, it rains cats and dogs the next day. Oh, and no. Clint goes, I'm going to have to get him. That's that's the only scene we've got. So Gene had to do that huge scene in the God. In, in the jail cell. I don't know if you remember it. Yes. You know, like, and he was spot on. I mean... You, you look at that work and you go, oh, my God. Yeah. Just... And then, um, and so wins the Academy Award. Yeah. And then, I mean, that must have just been the icing on the cake. Yeah. Was that the, would you, was that like a career? <clears throat> For him? Or are you talking about me? You, yeah. Just to be even a part well, of a part film. Of it. That... Well, to be part of a film that won, absolutely. And yeah. that's such an American film. Uh, yeah. Made by an American filmmaker. I think yeah. that that's why... It's a western. It's just a beautiful film. Yeah, beautiful film. Yeah, Morgan, Morgan Every, Freeman. Um, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a great moment. And I was pregnant at the time, so I got to you know uh, have Francesca Aww. not too long after that. And so then you then you work on another film that is also an Academy Award winning movie, Titanic. Oh yeah. Now that was a oh. movie because uh, I was friends with Danny Nucci. We were in oh. a live together, and he went yeah. off to do Titanic. And they were in where were you? It we were in New Rosarito Me- Beach, Mexico. Yeah. for six months. Yeah, he was going out. He was going out of his mind. He was in. They were in water. Like every did it ever? Because that's my. I always said, "Oh God, how do you work in water? Like yeah. you're wet all the time." Yeah. Fortunately, my character Ruth didn't have to get wet. You know, but a lot of the the, the rest of the cast did, and they used the water from the ocean. It was cold. Wow. It was so when Kate was doing <gasps> like that, that yeah. wasn't acting. That was that was real cold water. And so looking, because it's been so many years now, but I remember when they were making the movie, of course, it was Cameron's Folly, and it wasn't, I don't remember great press uh, surrounding it, you know, because again, we're going back. 20 years, it was 20 years actually this year. Can't believe it. You know, and then, and then of course the movie comes out, it's unbelievable, successful, wins the Academy Award, and so it's like looking back, and it still holds up, it's a great yeah, I think ensemble. people people were gunning for him a little bit. You know, he did give up his his directing salary, but you know, he had his other salaries. But uh, you know, he had he's such a visionary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a great respect for him because if you give a hundred percent, 
you're in. You're mm-hmm. on the team. And I had a ball with him. Yeah. 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 He was great. Um, I had a great audition. Can I talk about yeah, my please. audition? Love it. Loved it. Mally Finn, mm-hmm. God rest her soul, was one of the best casting directors I've ever worked with. So I got a call to come in and audition. And they gave me a couple of scenes, including the uh, corset scene, mm-hmm. to do for her because Jim was shooting the, the modern day stuff up in mm-hmm. Nova Scotia. I did the scene and um, didn't hear anything. A couple of, like a month goes by. And then I'm asked to come back to meet Mr. Cameron. Do all those scenes plus the end of the movie. It's like, what do you mean the end of the movie? What? It's like, it's like a piece here, a piece there. And oh my God. I, so I did go down to Lightstorm with my little audition dress, you know, mm-hmm. the turn of the century audition dress that we all c- keep in our closets, don't yeah, we? Oh, yes. With a little high collar and <laughs> the hair up. And the cop uniform. <laughs> 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 or the, de- the detective blazer. Yeah, I the detective say. blazer and yeah. the hooker outfit. <laughs> oh, I don't have, yeah, that's half my wardrobe. That's your whole wardrobe. <laughs> so I'm sitting in there, I'm by myself in this big waiting room, and this guy show, comes in with a lumberjack shirt and jeans, and he looks like a PA. He goes, uh, Francis Fisher, yes, come on back here. Long haul to this big conference room with a huge conference table mm-hmm. and there's Mally and her assistant with the camera and I look around I go where's Mr. Cameron he goes oh that's me the, the guy who came to get me was him I'd never seen him oh or met him God. before so at that moment I went oh and we just looked at each other and he goes okay you don't have to do all those other scenes again I already saw them on tape Let's focus on the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I went, I want to talk to you about that. I, we're going to have to shoot a moment and then stop, and I'm going to have to reset, mm-hmm. shoot another one, mm-hmm. because it's all broken up, because Ruth doesn't have a scene. She's right. like moments. Okay, great. So we do a couple of the little moments. It's like, you know, Rose, Rose, get in the boat. And I go, no, you know what? I know. And he held the camera. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the, the assistant. Yeah. He held his camera, and I said, okay, you know, you're probably going to shoot it down, right? So can we get up on the table, and then I'll step down into the chair so you can see me reaching up going, Rose, Rose, get in the boat. He goes, okay. So we all got up on the on the table. I think I'm, I'm telling this is because it wasn't about me getting the job. I was so happy to be working right. on that. I knew this character. I mean, I knew what I wanted to do with this character. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't feel intimidated by him um, because I, I loved the script so much and I just felt like he got me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we do the scene up on up on the, the table and I step down. I really, he goes, ah, oh, I should have brought a crane. I'm going to, you know, if I get sick, I know who's going to direct this scene. You know, it was like fun. We were having yeah. fun, fun, fun. And... Um, yeah, and I ended up getting the job, not right away, but um, that call was, I was so happy because it, it, it proved something to me. When you have the feeling and you have the knowing, you don't have to worry about anything. You just do your work. Because mm-hmm. I've gone in, as you know, on a lot of auditions where I just didn't feel right, and I knew I wasn't going to get it 
I just had a feeling it wasn't mine, but I'd do it anyway because mm-hmm. it's a chance to work, isn't it, an audition? So, but, I don't know. But being part of that and, uh, you know, just, I mean, you know, again, another American classic yeah. film that must give you and, a lot of pride. Well, you know, and also what the message was, uh, the, the, the arrogance that we're seeing now in this century the arrogance of uh you know people thinking that they can conquer nature right <laughs> you know climate change is real and even if you deny and take money away from the epa it's going to come and bite you on the ass we uh we only have a couple minutes left so i just want to to talk briefly about um you know we when we do the trailblazing women show we focused on actresses that were trailblazers speaking out activists you know uh jane fonda of course mm. and so many others and how important it is for uh, public figures to speak out because they have the face and you've just been i you know i see your posts on facebook and it's so so thank you for that it's amazing yeah. and and what is it does it feel like a, a responsibility or or is it just something that's always been in you well i you know i fought you know marched against the vietnam war that's how old i am and you know in washington for era mm-hmm. that we need, still need to have um planned parenthood and then um, I was um, a Bernie surrogate because mm-hmm. I believed what he had to say, and that turned into Standing Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shailene Woodley and Josh Fox were the ones who alerted me to what was going on there, and because it's not just about indigenous sovereign- sovereignty, it's about um, the fracking, how bad it is, climate mm-hmm. change, environmental issues, and, um, you know, uh, we ha- we have a great... Um, responsibility to uh, take care of the water and the earth and the air because the natives knew that they've they've been mm-hmm. around a long time and uh, I learned a lot from them I went to Standing Rock for two weeks um, Jane Fonda came during Thanksgiving mm-hmm. that's what they call it yes. you know there's a lot for us to learn about uh, of course about uh, what what white people have done and and how we've you know, slaughtered and tried to slaughter um, their stories, and it was so beautiful to be at Standing Rock and hear some of their stories and see the young people carrying the message because mm-hmm. they started the whole thing. You know, it was them running from Standing Rock to uh, to um, Washington D.C. To like say this this you can't do this to us anymore. We've right. been fucked for eight five hundred years. Can't do it anymore. So mm-hmm. the fight goes on. And if people are fans of your films, like what should they? How can they help? How can they be involved? Because that's what I. I mean, if they like your movies, mm-hmm. I mean, don't you feel that that you've given them films that they've enjoyed so shouldn't they have a responsibility to give back in some way not not so much financially write to the producers of this is us and tell them they want to cast me on that show (laughs) i don't know i i need a job right don't you need a job always you know we always we you know people talk about oh my god you know i just got fired from my job it's like that's what actors go through all the time we are unemployed after the job is over that's true and with our current administration they're going to cut our 
cut all of our, <laughs> our pensions. Anyway, uh, Fran- follow me on Twitter. Yes. Yeah, Francis underscore Fisher. And also yes. Instagram at Francis Fisher. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Francis. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, you can buy Ileana's book, I Blame Dennis Hopper, on Amazon and yes, at Bookstars. Um, check out our Facebook page. Also, uh, the website is ilianaspodcast.com. If you want to know more about anything with the show, there's lots of great stuff there. Yes, that's right. Uh, come to my next party. Francis will be there singing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll be singing yeah. Irish songs. As we say, uh, uh, everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And sadly, it's the end of our show. But please come back, Francis Fisher. Yes. You're Thank such an you. amazing Thank actress. Somebody come up with an idea for us to play oh. sisters. Look at our eyes. Oh, yes. Look at those eyes. Could I be Vivian Vance? Yeah. <laughs> I'll put on 20 pounds. Our, I, we could do Feud. The, the feud oh, my two. God. Feud exactly. 2. <laughs> exactly. I want to see you as old Lucy. Old, bitter Lucy. <laughs> she was the greatest. I love Lucy Ball. Anyway, Francis yeah. Fisher, thank, thank you. you yeah. Have a great Thanks, day, everybody. everyone. See thank you, you next time. Peace and love. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.